Well, welcome. Please do not adjust your television set. I'm not Mark. For those of you that don't know me, everybody knows me. All right. Hi, I'm Steve. Hi, Steve. So, uh, for those of you that haven't heard, um, Mr. Mark is not feeling well this morning. Kind of a last minute thing and uh, kind of on the important side. So, um, I'm filling in and I'm excited to do that. What I'm excited about is that uh, the Holy Spirit makes up the difference and it is his provision for his own church. Um, And part of the stuff that I'd like to talk about today really has to do with the fact that on the one hand, uh, we hear Jesus saying to, to Satan that thou shalt not test the Lord our God. But what I think that does sometimes is it gives us the excuse to not trust in his promises. Because if we're testing him and we have the idea, well, we're not supposed to do that. Well, that also means that we don't necessarily walk out on faith to try the things that he has told us to do. And so I know that when I'm having conversations with my lovely wife, Meredith, that um, sometimes we go back and forth on, is, am I fleecing? And this is Christian jargon. Am I, am I trying to have God supernaturally approve of a decision because I'm afraid to do anything? Um, or is it testing the Lord? And um, what I wanted to talk about this morning was really, God has given us 66 books over... 2,000 years of promises, and they're bedrock. And you don't have to ask God every single time, Did you, do you still mean your promise? Do you still mean your promise? Over and over. It's something that we do, and we walk out on faith, knowing that, like the promise or the covenant with Abraham, God did all of it. There was no condition for Abraham. So our job is to walk and let God provide himself. So there's a couple speaking points. And since I'm, I'm filling in, we're, we're kind of on the Holy Spirit's timetable. It might be 10 minutes. And you're like, yes, I only had one word. It might be here three hours. We might have to call them for food. Just saying. Okay. So um, what I'd like to talk about this morning, five points. Um, I know that for me, I've had a lot of ups and downs in my Christian walk. I'm sure we all have. Um, but there's times where I feel like I'm in the spirit, I'm, I'm clicking and I'm doing the thing, um, and everything's great, and the Holy Spirit's providing and opening doors and all of that, and then for me, don't want to speak for anybody, I will say, I got this Christian thing down. Yeah. And I have never been benched so fast. Holy Spirit taking me out like nobody's business. Um, and that's because he calls us to follow him, not to follow a list of tasks, a list of to-dos, a list of whatever it is. So he both gives you the provision for this is what you should do, and provides for himself to do all of those things. So this morning, I want to talk about how do we hear God's voice, Um, and think of this as lab class. So the difference between uh, being able to get all of the books and theology on this. Uh, I'm not going back to a seminary uh, a degree on this. What I'm doing is a lot of personal application from uh, Bible study and what the Holy Spirit talked to me this morning about. But think of this like the lab class. If you were in biology, you have the lecture, where you learn all the equations. 
and then in the lab class that you have to go to that's extra credit hours um, that you have to take, then you learn how to blow stuff up, and that one's a lot more fun. So I'm hoping that this is maybe a little bit of that um, second part, but be aware that the, the consequences of blowing stuff up is that there's backlash. Like, this is a real thing. God really works, the enemy really works, the world really works, and our flesh really works. So once we start applying some of this stuff, it gets a little dodgy for what we expect our normal week to look like. So the first point we'll talk about is how to hear God's voice. Um, and then there is a nice thing that, uh, so point number two is the only time that we're supposed to talk about Christ. So how to hear from him, hear his voice. We're only called to talk to him at one time. We'll talk about that in the second point. What do we talk about when God calls us to act? What do we say? Uh, that will, so that'll be point three. Um, and what you're responsible for. I know that when we're talking to people about Christ and kind of stepping out of our comfort zone, we want to have our the theology degree, and we want to have our list of arguments drawn out, and we want to feel comfortable with it, what anybody's going to ask us, um, so that we can respond. We might explore that that's not what we're expected to be responsible for. Um, and then the... Um, Last thing is what the battle looks like when we do these things. Okay, so um, so a little bit of scripture that we'll go through on this, uh, and, and we'll see how the Lord leads. So let's bow our hearts in prayer. Lord God, I just pray this morning that I decrease; that there's nothing prepared about this message this morning, Lord. I, I just pray that this is a, uh, a lab class where we walk firm on your promises and know that we're not testing you, but we're walking in assurance that you provide for yourself as we submit to your call. Lord, and as we do that, we just pray that this is a personal conversation, that we're not playing church, that we're not um, trying to get through the week, um, and worse, that we're trying to get through our lives and just make it. Lord, we want to get to the end of the race and have you pleased with how we've submitted to you and how we've come to know you in our life. Lord, we know that the Holy Spirit is here. Lord, we pray active teaching. The Holy Spirit is called to teach us all things, not some things. And we submit to whatever that is, and whatever rabbit trails we happen to find, that they're guided by you. We trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If, if you can open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 18. So, this is the first point. How do we hear God's voice? So we have, picking up in verse 16, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophet, uh, prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good, abstain from every form of evil. So, there's more context, of course, before this, and um, where we're going to go with this is the pray without ceasing. What does pray without ceasing look like? I don't know, 
I know that for my concept of prayer, it's a prayer closet. I put together my list, and then I take it to my prayer closet, and I talk to God about it. Here's my list. And then when I'm being particularly Christian-y, um, I have, oh, these are the prayers I'm doing for other people. But mostly it's my list, and I take back to my prayer closet. But that stands in conflict with what the Scripture says. Pray without ceasing. I kind of see myself talking to myself all day long, talking to God as I'm driving, as I'm at work, as I'm going through any uh, of the different bits of my day. And this has been something that, um, with, as you may or may not know, we recently had a baby come home, and uh, we're super excited about that. Baby Stevie is now at home, and all of the time up to that, we've been spending time in the NICU, and uh, it's a lot of time, not a lot of sleep. And so I'm learning about this praying without ceasing thing, mostly because my prayer closet time is no time at all. So I, I, I'm not proud to say it, but uh, my, my prayer is at my drive to work, God, please help me not curse at that guy that just cut me off. Um, God, can you take care of my list? Um, and as I'm at work, and I work at a call center, uh, as I'm getting yelled at by different uh, insurance agents praying between phone calls, uh, I'm like, wow, okay. Um, there is a praying without ceasing. I'm noticing a difference, though. And this is talking about how we can trust God's word, pray without ceasing. God makes up those differences. He'll provide a God conversation while on the phone with an agent. He'll have that guy that just cut me off give me a wave and, and I see, you know, the little Jesus fish on it or something. I'm like, oh, I'm so glad I didn't swear. <laughs> All right. Because God knows that guy. I don't swear <laughs> at people that do that. But the moment by moment walking, we can trust that he has everything and is going to make up the difference in those small moments. I don't think we put, we don't want to put God in a closet. We don't want to schedule God time. Uh, because another important thing about this is rejoice. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. I don't like that part. The rejoice always. It's an admonition. It's an instruction. Rejoice always. But that kind of connects to our next speaking point, which is when we should talk about Christ. So let's turn to 1 Peter 3.15. All right, 1 Peter 3.15. And this is confirmation that I need new glasses. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Yet, it is super important, yet with gentleness and reverence, and keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. So I think when we talk about 1 Thessalonians, about pray ceasingly and rejoice, that's our connection point into 
giving us that joy that we have in Christ. So when it says, be ready to give an answer, it doesn't say be ready to give proof, be ready to go nine rounds with uh, some atheist that doesn't believe in the Bible. What we're called to do is answer about the joy we have. So if we don't have the joy, why don't we have the joy? It's probably because we're not praying without ceasing. And we're not having the Spirit involved in all of those small moments. And there's a... There's a sin sickness in the world. We, Those who aren't saved have this... They know that they're not saved. It's in their hearts. There's an emptiness. I'm not a big fan of the God-shaped hole in your heart conversation, but it is a, a seeking. Where do they find the fulfillment? Is it in good works? Is it in trying to be super great at their career? To somebody that has the joy of Christ in their heart, that's weird. It doesn't make sense. That's the evidence of the Holy Spirit working in you and flowing out. And here's the most important part. We're going to keep uh, kind of drilling this home. It's not anything that you did. It's you submitting to Christ and having that vertical relationship that there is that joy in your heart. And that causes problems for the world around you. It's disruptive. Why does that person have peace? They have stuff going on in their life. They have um, health problems, medical bills. Um, they can't sleep. All of these, their career is going nowhere. They're... X number of years old and they haven't made, made anything of their life and that there's this joy that doesn't compute. It's like sandpaper in the soul. And that's the Holy Spirit moving if, if they feel it that way. And it's the Holy Spirit that does that. Mm-hmm. Let's take a quick look at 2 Timothy 4.2. Taking a little jump around here. Alright. Here is not one of my favorite verses. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort, and with great patience and instruction. So we talked about the only times that you're supposed to talk about Christ. Okay, those two times are when? In season and out of season. So that's all the time. That's when we're, when we're called to. In season, when we're ready for harvest. When, the, um, when we are in season, things are blooming, things are ripening, and we have the opportunity to, to harvest for the kingdom. Maybe that's leading somebody to Christ. Maybe that's um, an act where we're sowing some love into somebody else's uh, world. That's in season. Out of season. Things are blowing up in my world. Things aren't great. Um, and somebody just needs me to help with a flat tire. I'm not, I'm not ready. Like, let me go get prayed up first before I can help you. No. So in season and out of season. So I... I don't know about you, but I... I'm going to just admit this. I hide from verses that I know are there. I know this verse is here, and I don't go looking for it when I'm having a bad day. Um, I don't look for 1 Peter 
And one of the other things in First uh, Peter three fifteen is with the humbleness of heart. There's been times where I've witnessed. Um, I used to get very excited about um, apologetics, and apologetics is just a big long word for. I like to defend the Bible with um, uh, arguments, the same way that the world likes to argue against the Bible. And so, in college, I used to have a fun time of. Uh, challenging biology, physics, and chemistry professors to come and, and debate the Bible with me. Didn't go great. Um, it wasn't that I wasn't prepared. We're, we'll talk a little bit about being prepared here in just a second. But it was an experience where I would draw a crowd, and there would be things hurled back and forth. And what will happen in any of these um, sort of conversations is you'll be talking about one thing. Usually it'll start in science. And you'll start picking at it. And then the professor who has uh, and replaced this with the, the person who's read, who uh, subscribes to scientific journals sort of stuff or likes to watch the Discovery Channel or whatever and, and says, you know this or that's not true about the Bible. So you'll be talking about science and then somebody will say, yeah, well, your Bible does blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, conversation's over, we're on the def defense. So I loved getting into those arguments back and forth uh, because I thought that I could win the argument. But it's not a logic thing. I can testify today with no doubt that the Bible is 100% true. You uh, can rely on everything in it. It doesn't contain the Word of God, it is the Word of God, which is exciting. And you can prove that, but you can't take a hardened heart of your own power and do anything with that. You can go down every single argument and not convert anybody. But what I, what I picked up from 1 Peter 3.15 was the manner with which you share Christ being ready always to give answer to the joy that's in your heart, that's the spiritual moment. You're ready and how you do it. So there was one time I was speaking to, uh, was a biology professor, and he was throwing a whole bunch of stuff at me and I was going back and forth and we were doing the things with the term papers and um, I was very calm. Um, okay, well the outside of me was very calm. On the inside I was like, no, I'm losing. Um, but every question was answered. And he was being, started to get really nasty and started um, making fun of Christ, started making fun of the Bible, started making fun of me and my lack of knowledge. And I would say, cool, I understand. That makes sense why you're coming from that position, but let's evaluate the actual arguments. And it really had nothing to do with the success. I had no impact on that professor. After sharing Christ in that way, though, Somebody who was an atheist came up to me afterwards. He's like, I was so disgusted by how that professor was approaching this subject. Tell me more about what, you, what you're talking about. Not because he was really interested at that point, but there was something. Be ready to give answer for the joy that's in you. That he was like, whoa, why is he not getting shook up by somebody saying that all of this stuff's not true? Because just as easy as it is to say that it isn't true, I can stand on rock-solid ground and say it is true. I might not know all the different, all the answers different, 
but it is true. And so because I know that I'm, tr- know that I'm on firm ground with Christ, the ministry is, is speaking out. It's not to be responsible for what the answer is, what they hear going away from. You don't have to have all the answers. In fact, you shouldn't have all the answers. It's how the Holy Spirit manifests in you at that moment. And that uh, atheist later, uh, later got to uh, lead him to Christ. It was very exciting. He became uh, a youth pastor. I think he's still a youth pastor. And uh, shortly after his uh, conversion, he uh, then started coming up later with me with Christian Bar of Soap. He's like, you know, you probably shouldn't swear so much. You probably shouldn't. I was like, amen, brother. That's fantastic. Holy Spirit's working in you. That's a whole other side story about that whole uh, plank in one's eye. We'll leave that for another time. But um, it was exciting to see that the Holy Spirit is responsible for all of that. And so with that, let's take a, a brief jaunt to Matthew 13. Matthew 13 is about the sowing, the soils parable. You know when you see Matthew, Mark, and John and you can't figure out which one it is? It's the first one. Matthew 13, 4. So we'll back up to verse 3. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on rocky places where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who hath ears, let him hear. First off, I'm going to jump off of that last verse there. He who hath ears. Who has earlobes? Yeah, so that's for us, right? He who hath ear. Um, I take comfort, and then the, these parables are, uh, the explanation for the parable is explained later on uh, in that chapter. Um, but where I build my case, build my promise on Christ is, it doesn't talk a whole lot about that farmer. It talks about the seed and the soil. What a farmer is supposed to do is throw seed. That's the farmer's job. When? Hopefully in season. (laughs) We were given uh, some uh, instruction before. Throws in season and out of season. Maybe it's out of season on cold and rocky uh, dirt. Maybe it's on the path. Um, But if you put Christ in the middle of all of this, it will always unfold a course of action. It will always speak to him. If the soil is our heart, the heart of the people that you're talking to. It doesn't talk about the farmer preparing the soil. 
talks about the different types of soil that are prepared. So who prepares the soil? God. God prepares the soil. Right? So if we're called to give answer to the joy that is in us with meekness and humbleness of heart, in season and out of season, that's just throwing. That's not, we're not called to be responsible for somebody else's spiritual development. And this is a big one. I struggle with this a lot, especially in a pastoral role. I can get very excited, um, even as a teacher, I love teaching. And I want to be responsible for the students' learning. I'm responsible for the teaching. I have no idea what they're going to hear. As far as it relates to soil, I have no idea where that person is. But if I hear the prompting of the Holy Spirit to say, hey, can I help you out with something? Hey, are you in pain? Can I, uh, do you want to come over for dinner? Hey, have you heard this Jesus guy? You know that you, be sure that you heard about that one if it's hearing for this Jesus guy. And then you throw seed. What responsibility is there from the uh, farmer in the seed? Does, does the farmer construct in a laboratory set how the seed is constructed and how it's going to germinate or what it's going to do? God's seed. It's God's word. It's being ready always to answer about the joy that is within you with meekness and humbleness. You're not responsible for what you say if you're walking in the spirit. Right? So you don't have to be responsible for knowing all your verses. You don't have to be responsible to look for an opportunity to minister into somebody's life. You're there to Pray without ceasing, going at the beginning. Listen from the Holy Spirit. He will give you the opportunity as you listen. And then as he presents the opportunity, you throw the seed. And don't be responsible for what's on the far side. And the reason I, I, I feel so strongly about this is I've done all the arguments. Not all the arguments, that's a superlative. But so many of the arguments in science and theology and whatever. And I have them and I'm sure... And I'm sure, until somebody says something that I haven't quite heard it phrased that way before, ah, is that really true? And might I be wrong? And then I have to go back and rebuild all the stuff. So God's responsible for both the soil and the seed. Mm-hmm. I skipped over a point, but I want to go and talk about, okay, if we're talking about that seed, what is this? It's the gospel. And James was kind enough at one point to put together bookmarks, and we have them out in the back here. There's a lot of different uh, tracts or or, uh, things that help us talk about the gospel. But the Romans Road is a nice kind of condensed package. And it's really talking about what that seed is. The cool thing for me is... We're not responsible for this. God's responsible for this. He has protected it. Uh, He protected all the translations. He's protected it from falling into obscurity. He's fought the devil with it. It's his word. In the beginning was the word. This is him. Okay. He's not messing around with this. Just throw it like a grenade. And so I'm just going to go through... um, the speaking points here on the Romans Road, and it's 
really talking about the entirety of our creation. Everybody has this problem. Everybody knows that we're in a fallen state. Everybody knows that what they're doing is wrong. The Bible says that he has written the law of God on the hearts of men. It's also not our responsibility to show them that they're wrong. It's the Holy Spirit's job. So Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is a catch-all statement. It's the state of man. It's blown. It's not working. Okay? And we can... What we are... We have the opportunity to share the answer for a fallen creation. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in the Christ Jesus our Lord. So, it's all blown. The penalty for this, and here's the bad news. This is when you're at the doctor's office and he uh, has you close the door. Um, and he's like, I'm afraid you have terminal illness. In all the times that I've witnessed The most successful times when I'm not when I don't have my hand on it, I just share verses that the Lord puts on my heart. Usually they're messed up. Usually they don't work for however I meant them. And when the Holy Spirit's moving, you will notice that you hit Peter and somebody else gets really pissed off. Cool. Holy Spirit's got it. Leave it alone. Because when we know that we're moving towards the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in the Christ Jesus our Lord. There's a comma in there. For the wages of sin is death. Don't rush the Holy Spirit on that. Because that's terrifying. It's the provision that's our salvation. But we as I think Christians, we really do like to talk about the, everything's going to be okay, uh, God's a God of love, and he's going to take care of your needs, and all of those things are true, but we're selling something. We're packaging up God's word to try to package it really well. We're trying to be marketing directors, spin doctors for the Bible. We can't improve on truth. And so when we get to wages of sin is death, Holy Spirit's got it, then uh, the free gift of God is eternal life. Romans 5.8 But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is the, but there's a provision, but there's an antidote to the death that you have. And then here's the method of administering. So think of it like a prescription. Here's your prescription, which is Christ that died on the cross for you. How do you administer it? How many times do you take it daily? What do you do? Romans 10, 9 through 10. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For while the heart, for with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. You confess with your mouth. Being ready always to speak to the joy that is within you. It's an action. 
you administer it once, you are saved. There's a lot more to talk about about sanctification and the ongoing law. But if we look at all of this, like, well, how do I, how do I do this? How do I, how do I do Christian during the week? Uh, I don't know. Well, we go back. We pray without ceasing. Because it's God's job to lead us in all of those things. He will give us an opportunity to speak. About what? I don't know. But in those small moments is when he's going to tell you. And what you'll do is you're going to start like, I have no idea what to say. And it'll be bumbling, and it'll feel weird and awkward, and God will weave that conversation around exactly the way he wants it to. Because these are promises that God has put in the Bible we don't have to ask him for over and over and over. This is just the way it is. When? In season. And out of season. How? Romans wrote, gospel, however, there's a lot of ways of getting at it, but it's super simple. That it say, be ready to give biological, evolutionary, physics, no. Be ready to speak of how Christ has impacted you, your witness, your experience, how he's manifesting in your life. This is the lab class. When you do this, stuff blows up. Not a great way. Because here's the next part. Um, we, we are well acquainted. When we start doing this, I'm, I'm walking in faith. This is a when, not if. We're, we're just going to do this. Ephesians 6, 11. We're talking about the armor of God. We're very familiar with this. Familiar on where it lives. There it is. All right, picking up in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God, so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Back to the apologetics conversation. But against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist the evil day, and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word. I'd like to continue this into 18. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints and pray on my behalf and utterance may be given to me in the openness of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains and proclaiming it I speak boldly as I ought to speak. Who's speaking there? Paul. 
was, uh, did Paul have all of the arguments of his day down? He was Pharisee. He persecuted Christians. He knew all of the errors in the Christian doctrine. Oops, uh-oh. He's nervous. He's trembling in spirit. You can hear this as you're moving through the verse. He's uncomfortable. He's asking, you the saints, pray for me that I could have boldness. If there was somebody more prepared to talk about the gospel, I don't know anybody. And yet he still has those feelings of like, mm, maybe not. Maybe I should, mm, you know, maybe it offends me. Maybe, maybe I'll just walk out in front of them with my lifestyle and show them how I'm a good Christian. And I, I know that they, they, they're curious. They don't know what a Bible is and they don't know who Christ is, but I'll show them by my nice house and my cars and my 2.5 kids that I have got it down and they'll be curious. The reason I wanted to visit this, I mean, obviously, Ephesians 6 is huge. These are the armaments of what it is to be Christian. The real stuff. Not, did we do well in our career? Do we do, um, did we make wise investments? Are we um, checking off all of our prayer closet stuff? Are we doing all of our Christian things? I wanted to focus on that shield of faith. Mark has mentioned many times from this pulpit, this stage, that faith is not a belief. It's an action. It's something that we do. It's not something that we just have in our head. We know that the devil believes in God, believes in Jesus. He doesn't have faith in him. The reason I bring this up is if we're talking about this being lab class and stuff blowing up, expect it to blow up because it does always without fail. In, in, I guess, my limited experience. Um, and what that means is stuff will go weird with your uh, finances or your car or something will break down or there'll be a, a problem with your roof or you'll be called into the office to talk about whatever and it's not a good conversation about whatever. You know what I mean? There's the world, the flesh, and the evil one responds. And what that immediately does is it puts us on the defensive to be, oh my gosh, how am I going to handle medical bills? I, I don't know. Maybe I need to get an extra job. Maybe I need to work more on weekends. Maybe I need to not be a pastor at this church because I need a, a side job. Mm. Mm. That messaging seems pretty consistent. Who's that from? Get me behind me, Satan. Because there's stuff happening. Expect the blowback. I want to focus on the shield of faith because we can talk about the, the helmet of salvation and, and I don't want to dive in and make this a, a study on Ephesians, but the action of our shield. Okay, you have one. I have faith. I say I have faith. And somebody says, well, tell me about that Jesus guy. Cool, he's my savior. He paid for my sins. I rose, uh, died on the cross, rose three days later. Uh, for my sins and has uh, paid my debt for sin. And I have my arm over here and it's got a shield on it. Is that helpful? If I have my shield on my arm out away from me, 
doesn't do anything. The immediately next thing that's going to happen is, you know, well, that Bible was translated so many different times. You have absolutely no idea. Well, I believe in a historical Jesus, but he never said he was God. Sure he did. There's no proof that he actually rose from the dead. That was just a whole bunch of his believers. Really? Did you see the Discovery special that I didn't? I didn't know how to... So what you have is you have your fiery darts. Okay? And those fiery darts sting, and they hurt, and they'll poison your mind. But this is why I want to go all the way back to God's promises. God promises he will instruct on all things. He anticipates all heresy. He anticipates everything that would be shot in your way. And so look at it as an opportunity. Because you're not going to know the answer. It's going to mess you up. But then it's going to faithfully move you into action to figure out what that was about. And now you know how to pull your shield in a little bit more. Because you were submitting to what God was leading. You're not rushing in for the battle. You're submitting. And then as you practice faith, practice pulling your shield up, then that other thing takes off again. And what you'll find is as you do this more and more and more and more, that all of the arguments begin to become repetitious and that the ones that you haven't heard before You've had so much experience pulling out these barbs from yourself and trying to go back to the Lord and like, hey man, I'm really I'm doubting your word. Can you tell me about it? This is the pray without ceasing. He'll bring it back. You'll be healed. You'll have all of those stories in your life that you have the shield of faith in front of you. Then you can more easily speak out as the Holy Spirit prompts. So, I would challenge you this week. I would challenge you with the direction that we have. And the direction is to rejoice, pray without ceasing in this moment. We never want to get out ahead of the Holy Spirit where he's leading. But we know that he's leading. And if we're not checking in frequently, like my prayer closet that's once a week... Um, usually Sunday morning right before I'm supposed to come to church. I'm like, God, let me just air out all my dirty laundry and repent of my sins from that past week because I'm about ready to go be a pastor on your behalf. Can you scrub me up, get me clean in order to do That's not ceasing me. That's not allowing me to go forth into the world and speak. So when you hear that voice step out, please don't try to prepare your answer. Say something. Try it. Look for the opportunity for God to show you that he is there, that he is real, that he's concrete, that it's not some thing that we tell ourselves to feel good, that we're going to some magical, mystical place where uh, there's puppy dogs and rainbows, and that's what we're looking for because life here stinks so much. That's not what it's about. So this morning... We just, we want to trust God and his promises. We want to walk on his promises actively. It's not for us to be responsible for the seed. It's not for us to be responsible for the soil. It's not for us to be responsible for not having doubts. We're going to get shot down a bunch. 
It's not our responsibility to make God say everything must be peachy and lovely for us. The only thing that we're guaranteed is uh, turmoil and persecution for being Christians. It's the only thing. Oh, yeah, and salvation. They don't even. It's power arts. Lord God, thank you so much for you as our provider, as our king, as our priest. Thank you, Lord, for being the sacrificial lamb that laid down your life for us to provide the answer for sin in our life, to lead us to eternal salvation. Lord, but we also thank you for being the lion of the tribe of Judah. That you're not messing around here. That this is, that you are a powerful God. You are awesome. Lord, we just pray that as we think of you, we keep both of these things in mind because we don't want to make you into a box of band-aids to make us well. Lord, we know that in you we are well. We have your joy. We have the knowledge of peace in our hearts. And Lord, we pray that you send us forth into the world. Give us the boldness of lions. That is you, that is your Holy Spirit. We have victory in Christ. We have victory in you, Lord. And we just pray that we follow you in that victory, in that use of victory. That while we speak with meekness and humbleness, we speak. And as we sow seeds, that we're not responsible for the soil or the seed itself, Lord, but we rejoice and agree with you in the work that you're doing in the world, in the people that we touch. We thank you and we praise your name, Jesus Christ. If I could have uh, James and Louise come forward, please. singing Amazing Grace a little bit here, um, but if the Lord has spoken to you this morning um, about a ministry in your life, and you'd like to share that with us, I'll have Louise and James uh, here to help uh, pray with you, support you in your ministry. Or we get we get excited that this is new life, this is church, this is where ministry happens. But that's not true. This is the place where all of our ministries intersect. Lord, so we just pray that we 
we follow your ministry in our life, Lord, and here at New Life that we have the opportunity to bolster and encourage and help defend the ministries that you're already doing. If that if you feel moved to help at New Life, cool, great, we'll talk about some of those things. But if you're in Christ, you already have something. And we want to encourage you and be there with you. 